here we go again, isn't it? We're, we're in another lockdown. Anybody else getting that sense of deja vu? Yeah. So we, we probably thought on the 31st of December 2020 that um, we had left behind so much of 2020. We probably hoped that we could run into 2021 with renewed enthusiasm for a better year ahead. But then we get the news, Boris locks us down again. We get tragically the highest COVID numbers that we've seen so far. And it looks like we're gonna be in lockdown for the foreseeable future, maybe five or six weeks, maybe longer, unfortunately. And amidst all of the changes, whenever the changes come, whenever the restrictions uh, are introduced, we can, we can feel so many different things. We can feel overwhelmed, we can feel confused, we can feel lost and isolated. We've got to stay at home again. We can't get out very much. Perhaps you've got feelings of frustration or anger at the government about the way they're handling it or about the situation just in general. Perhaps you're just worn out and weary because the kids are at home again and you've got to go back to homeschooling them and you thought that, that you were done with that. And yet here we go again. Or maybe you're the, those feelings of anxiety and fearfulness that you felt back in March or April about what was going to happen have returned because the numbers are rising and the new strain that they talk about on the news is here. I don't know if anybody saw some of the newspapers this week. They, they, there was one headline that said, Lockdown 3, the worst sequel ever. Mm -hmm. And that probably is accurate because it's delivered a demoralizing blow to all of us. It's a reminder that our world is broken. It's a reminder that life is difficult and life is painful and that somehow suffering seems to stalk our days at the moment. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of it is minor. Some of it for some people is more major. Some of it is short-lived. Some of it is more long-lasting. And wherever we face times of difficulty, it creates within our hearts, and we looked at guarding our hearts last week, and this is a sermon that's hopefully gonna help us guard our hearts. But whenever we fa we're faced with difficulties and suffering and, and trials, it creates emotions and questions within our hearts that can be unsettling. And perhaps, perhaps you've asked some of those questions this week. Perhaps you've, you've asked questions like, why is this happening again? Where, where is God in all of this? Doesn't he care about what's happening in this world? Can't he just put an end to it? Why doesn't he care about me? All of those questions can run through our heads and our hearts. We might not admit them to ourselves or to others, but perhaps you've thought about them this week. So let me ask a question now. What happens to you when the unexpected hits your life? How do you react when you're safe and secure and uh, kind of comfortable life is interrupted and uh, uh, trials strike, your world is turned upside down or your life is, in some cases, for some people, blown apart? Now, Mark Rogo, and I think that's how you pronounce his name because it's the most oddly spelled name in the world, but there you go. Mark Rogo says this in his book on lamenting. We step into a world with a cry. Although none of us remembers the moment, the first sound that we uttered after leaving the warm and protected confines of our mother's womb was a loud protest. We enter wailing. To cry is human. And we don't stop crying after birth, he says. It continues because the world is broken. 
And while tears and sorrows are part of humanity, there is an often neglected prayer language in the Bible for all of our travels through a broken world. It's lament. Now, lament is not the same as crying. It's different and it's uniquely Christian, he says. Lament is different than crying because lament is a form of prayer. It's more than just an expression of sorrow or venting of our emotions. Lament talks to God about pain and it has a unique purpose, trust. It's a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears and our frustrations and our sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. And so since life is full of sorrows, especially right now, and since the Bible is clear about the sovereignty and the goodness of God and his promises and his power to deliver us, and because the tomb is empty and because Jesus has risen, we as Christians should be, uh, become competent lamenters, where we talk to God about the pain and the struggles of our lives, but then we turn and we trust him, even when situations and circumstances and sorrows tempt us to turn away. And so if life is a bother to you this morning, if life has become a burden to you, if, if lockdown is the worst sequel and your days seem dogged by dark, depressing clouds, if there's kind of an ache that just won't go away, or if you just feel like sometimes just bursting into tears and crying, uh, I want to invite you to join me today in eavesdropping someone who is lamenting. Someone who is familiar with difficulty and all of the feelings that accompany suffering. And we're going to do that from Psalm 13. God's divinely inspired and preserved words that records David's emotions during a time of suffering. So I'm going to ask Jonathan to come and read. But let's listen along to David and to God's word as he speaks to us this morning. And let's anticipate encountering the same God that David encounters and receiving the same hope and comfort that David received. So, Jonathan, over to you, my friend. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Excellent. Thank you very much. Keep your Bibles open if you can. Because the psalm is split into three parts, which gives us our three points this morning. And the first one is this. We see in verses one and two, David's cry. David's cry. In fact, this is one of the most uncomfortable psalms to listen to because it's an outpouring of pain. Four times David cries out. Did you notice that? Four times in these opening two verses. How long, O Lord? So my encouragement is don't just read these words and don't just hear them, but listen to the confusion that lies behind them and hear and feel the effect of what David is saying. How long, O Lord? Verse one, the first part of verse one is 
cry of, how long, O oh Lord, have you forgotten me? Is this going to, have you forgotten me? Do you not know what's happening to me? Then in the second part of verse 1, basically he says, have you turned away from me? Where, why are you hiding from me, God? Don't you, not only do you not know what's going on, it seems, but now you don't seem to care about me. Then in verse 2, he says, basically, how long is this going to last? And then verse 2b Sorry, that, that's verse 2b. How long is this going to last? The first part of verse 2 is, how, how long am I going to feel this way? So listen to what he's saying. Have you forgotten me, God? Have you turned away from me? How long am I going to feel like this? And how long is this going to last? And you get a sense that David is on the verge of despair. His soul is weighed down with his concerns the circumstances of his life are consuming him. He's weary, he's discouraged, he's anxious, he's downcast, and it feels like he can't handle any more. And the worst thing is that he feels like God is absent from him. That God's presence has departed. And perhaps you feel like that this morning. Perhaps you can identify with David because you feel like you've dropped off God's radar. Or perhaps you feel like God doesn't hear you, he doesn't respond to you, that he's hiding from you and that he's indifferent to your situation. Or maybe you feel like the circumstances of this world that somehow are outside of his control. Well, God's word reminds us that you're not alone, that none of us are alone when we feel like that. David knows how we feel. Now, just think about that. This is a man who was told to us in another part of scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. This is the same David who wrote Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie beside green pastures. He leads me to still waters. He restores my soul. And yet here he goes, how long, oh Lord, is this gonna last? David knows what it's like. But more importantly, God knows what it's like because he's put this psalm in his word and preserved it for us so that it might encourage us. God knows how we feel. And God has given a voice in Psalm 13 to, to his people to express words, to lament when we don't really know what to say. And this psalm teaches us and provides a good example for us of what lamenting in the Bible is to look like. And it's an invitation to pour out our hearts to God. It's an invitation to bring our cares to him and cast them upon him and find out, as Peter says, that he cares for us. Now, some of you might be thinking, my goodness, I'm not sure that I could speak in the way David speaks because that's not what good Christians do, is it? Perhaps you feel like, man, this is... If I was to make myself known like David makes myself known, people would say, well, you can't be a Christian and think that. But actually, God has put this in his word to teach us, to encourage us, that we can cry out like this. Because although his purposes are always wise, they're not always clear. They're not always clear to us. When suffering arrives into our lives and into our world, it does create those questions, as we've already said, questions that come to us. But David and God would have us know that there's a big difference between questions that we might have for God and questioning God. There's a so let me just draw that distinction. There's a big difference between questions we might have for God. Why is this happening, Lord? I don't understand it. Can you help me? And there's a difference between that and questioning God. Why are you doing this to me? And he wants us to see that bringing questions to God is not unbelief, but an exercise of faith. 
Unbelief would be to deny the questions, to stifle them, to hide them, to throw them off and to ignore them and to try and grit our teeth and carry on. But God says, no, turn to me. I'm the only one who can help you. I've promised help and I'm the only one who can help you. And so when David comes and he cries out, how long, O Lord? He's not just kind of screaming or venting or ranting. It's not anger management, biblical anger management. It's not like, um, so Nick and Rachel sent us this video this week on, I don't know whether you've seen it. There's a music teacher who's written a song to help her process uh, the pandemic. And so she picks up her ukulele and she's playing a few chords. And then she just goes, ah! Sorry. <coughs> That's not what David's doing here. Now everybody at home is Googling to see that video, I know. <coughs> it's hurt my voice. <coughs> ah. But David here is, he's not venting. He is crying out to and addressing the God he knows and bringing his questions to him. And if you notice how David addresses God, look again at verse one. How long, O Lord? And there's that, that Lord is, the, is in capital letters because it's the, it's the Old Testament way of expressing the personal name of God, Yahweh. How long, O God, Yahweh, this the name that was given to, by God to his people, that was revealed first to Moses at the burning bush and then revealed and reserved for his chosen people to address him. How long, O oh Lord, our God, Yahweh, we come to you this morning, David would say, and we cry out to a personal God who is promised always to be with his people, who has covenanted himself to his people. And he promises to hear us to never forsake us or leave us. And so often in suffering, when we isolate ourselves, when we spend all of our energies trying to rehearse our suffering, trying worrying about it, trying to analyze what we did or what we should do to get ourselves out of it, when we're searching for relief or trying to numb the pain or hatching an escape plan on our own, all of those things can be, um, can be expressions of unbelief because we're trying in our own pride and self-sufficiency to deliver ourselves. But if we do what David does and cry out to God, if we humble ourselves and ask God for help as David did, then we will find hope in the midst of hopelessness. And so in any season of difficulty, whether it's now or into the future, let me encourage you, don't turn in on yourself. Don't fake that everything is okay. Please don't pretend that you're not hurting. Instead, do what David does and cry out to God. Because that's what David encourages us to do. That's the first stage of lament, if you like, to cry out to God. Now, secondly, in verses three and four, we get the second point, which is David's plea. So having seen David's cry, now we get David's plea. And in verses three and four, he begins to ask for specific help from God with specific requests to God. He makes three specific requests. He says, consider me, O God. Basically, that word consider means, please look at me. He wants the look of God. He, he's not just asking for eye contact, though, or an acknowledgement, a kind of a nod of the head, like, Lord, you see me? And God goes, yeah, and David's happy with that. No, when David says, will you consider me? Will you look at me? He's probably thinking about the, the, um, the, the blessing of Numbers chapter 6, 
where Aaron would stand up in front of the people and he would say, you know, may the Lord's face shine upon you. The, the idea of considering it and the look of God is that God would look towards people in favour, that his face would shine upon them. And so David, in the midst of feeling the absence of God, is saying, Lord, would I once again experience the presence of God? Would I once again feel a renewed sense of your favour, of your grace, of your mercy towards me? So that's what he says when he says, consider me. He wants God's face to shine upon him again. And then he says, answer me. Well, that word answer really would, could be elaborated to mean, God, would you please act on my behalf? Do what your word has promised to do. Would you please deliver me? Would you act on my behalf? So he says, Lord, in all of my difficulties, in my trials, in my season of suffering, would you please consider me? Would your face be towards me again? And would you act on my behalf? And then he says, light up my eyes, which is probably a, a specific request to the exact situation that we don't know about. So maybe it's physical healing, perhaps it's spiritual illumination, perhaps it's just hope and renewed faith, but light up my eyes. But if you notice what David is not praying, he's not saying, just remove all this stuff from me. He's not demanding deliverance, he's not binding up strongholds, he's not casting out demons, he's not treating God as if he was his own kind of individual genie in a bottle, and if I just rub God in the right way, then he'll grant me all the wishes I need. Now, if you notice, David's desire is for more of God. I'm sure he wants relief, but more important to him in the middle of the suffering is relationship. David wants God more than anything else. And that really got me thinking this week, in the midst of our trials, what do we think that we need the most? What do our pleas to God look like? For in our trials, the, own, the only one who can authentically meet our needs is God himself. In our brokenness, we need one who came to bind up the brokenhearted. In our distress, we need the, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. In our tears, we need one who will wipe away every tear. And in death, the ultimate end of our suffering... We need one who overcame death and the grave and who rose again and who now sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. We don't simply need relief. We need relationship. David Powlison says this, which is just a one-liner, which you can take in your back pocket and, and take with you this morning. First and foremost, he says, the needy need God. First and foremost, the needy need God. So Psalm 13 takes our suffering and our situations and our difficulties very seriously, but it encourages us that in the most difficult of moments, we need an all-sufficient God who promises to draw near to those who will draw near to him. And that's David's plea. As he draws near to God, he says, Lord, would you draw near to me? May our pleas at this moment be, Lord, draw near to us as we draw near to you. And then finally, the third point, having seen David's cry, having heard David's plea, we now get David's declaration. David's declaration. This is verses five and six, where David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As David laments and he cries out and he pleads with God, something happens to David as he leans on God. He finds him. Isn't that encouraging? As David looks for God and searches for God, what does he find? He finds that God God is there. He finds him. Daniel Astis, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this. Through David's tears, he catches a glimpse of God. Despite his turmoil, he chooses to trust God. With parched lips and a a quivering voice, he begins to sing. Despite all of the observable evidence and contrary to his human feelings, the psalmist finds his security and his confidence in God. So David turns from his situation, he turns his attention from the instability of his life and he fixes his attention on the unchanging character and nature and the promises of God. And he breaks forth into a a song of faith. It's a declaration that he will trust God. And he's reminding himself of two important things. If you notice, he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. That word steadfast love uh, is one of the richest terms in the Old Testament. It's, it, it, it communicates more than the English language is able to kind of communicate because it, it, it's not just a really, really good love that God has for us. It means his covenant love where he is committed to us in a loyalty that will remain unbroken. So David here is, is drawing to mind, he's calling to mind how God has bound himself to his people, how God has revealed himself as Yahweh and how he has said, I have covenanted myself to you. Uh, my love towards you is uh, it's not just kind of a romantic, kind of sentimental, oh, I love you, yeah, I love you too. No, he's covenanted himself and bound himself to us in an unbreakable, never perishing, unceasing love that will last for all eternity. David reminds us in using that word that God is not a divine watchmaker who just winds us up and then lets us go. Or a God who only acts towards those who act kindly to him in this sort of a give and take relationship. No, God is a sovereign God who loves his people and who reigns over all in uncontested supremacy. And so this morning as we face another lockdown... We should be reminded of God's steadfast love towards us. That this morning, if you are a Christian, that for no other reason than that God is merciful, he has set his unfailing, never stopping, never giving up upon you. He has bound himself to you in unbreakable chains of mercy and grace and love. And he is working all of the situations that we face. All of the anxiety and the fear that we face. All of the kids at home and homeschooling again for another few weeks. All of the things that we experience with our lives curtailed and our lives changed and our jobs perhaps being uncertain. He's working in our lives to accomplish his ultimate good and to bring our lives into conformity with Christ and to bring himself glory And he's not going to waste this lockdown. 
And you know what? He's not going to let us go through this lockdown. He has loved us with a steadfast love. But David reminds us of something else. He says, I have rejoiced in God's salvation. So he looks back. I look back on your steadfast love, O oh Lord. But then in the, in the present tense, my heart shall, it will rejoice in your salvation. He looks to God's deliverance. He calls to mind the precious promises of God's word that he will rescue and save and deliver his people. David's circumstances are unchanged, but his heart has been changed as his eyes have been turned away from his circumstances. Sometimes when we hit suffering, and I, and I say this very cautiously because there are people in this room and, and people on the video at home who suffered far worse than I have, but sometimes when we, when we hit suffering, we can think that it's the, it's the worst situation that will ever happen. And yet, the Bible is true in saying that there's something worse than earthly, temporal, albeit painful suffering. And that is that we would stand guilty, stand guilty before a holy God who demands and deserves our perfect allegiance and there is something worse than temporal and earthly suffering, and that is to be set against him forever and to eternally experience the weight and the penalty and the judgment and the righteous wrath for our sins and for rejecting him. To be an enemy of God because of our sin is far more serious than any temporal suffering that we will experience here on earth. And yet, gloriously, God has remedied that most serious problem through the sending of his son. Jesus, a descendant of David who writes this psalm, suffered and was crucified on a cross and cried out in that moment of anguish, didn't he? The words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why would you forsake me? And he cried out those words so that you and I this morning and all who put our trust and hope in him will never be forsaken. And what David saw in part and caused him to sing out in praise and in faith, God's salvation works. They, they, even though he only saw in part, they changed his perspective. And yet we see more fully than David could ever have imagined in the fact that Christ has come, died on a cross with outstretched arms to show us the love with which God has loved us and to purchase for us the salvation that we do not deserve and we could never earn. And when we see that, it should inform us and change our perspective on the suffering that we face. And so where David had lost his grip in verses one and two, by the end of verse six, we find that he has regained his grip. But it wasn't because his trial had ended. It wasn't because he denied the difficulties. It wasn't even because he just exercised the power of positive thinking or got involved in some kind of mindfulness nonsense. He rested and he trusted in a God who dealt bountifully with him. That's what changed his perspective. And he worshiped him. And so this morning, we might have come in with a perspective Lockdown three, the worst sequel ever. And undoubtedly, it's going to be hard for us. Loneliness, isolation, 
financial challenges perhaps. Perhaps we will get sick from COVID ourselves. But we must learn to trust the steadfast love of the merciful, loyal, unchanging God who saved us in Christ, who has dealt bountifully with us. I don't know what your situation will be like tomorrow. I don't know whether circumstances will change again tomorrow, individually or as a nation. Circumstances will come, will go, they might remain unchanged. And yet, I can tell you this with utter certainty this morning. We have someone who will stand with us, who will meet us, who will sustain us and keep us in everything that we face. We have one who has bound himself to us in eternal bonds of love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have one who has promised us in John 13, though you will have tribulation in this world, do not lose heart because I have overcome the world. We have one who's promised us that even though we might cry tears of pain tomorrow, there is a day coming where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So let's learn to lament. Let's turn our attention to God. Let's bring our complaints and our pain and our questions to him. But then let's ask boldly for his help. And let's choose to trust him and worship him. In our home group this week, uh, when we met together, Katrina, uh, Kate Wilding, she, we were praying together for one another. And just at the end of, of, uh, of our prayer time, she just said, can I, can I share something with you? Uh, that has encouraged her. Uh, uh, she had a picture as we were praying, and so she shared it with us, and I just wanted to share it with you this morning. She said to us, um, she had a picture of a piece of wood that had been broken from a ship that was being battered in a stormy sea and had been dashed against the rocks. So imagine a bit of driftwood that just washes up on the beach. And she says the wood was picked up on the beach by a craftsman who then took it back to his workshop and carved it into the most beautiful new boat. She just said, God, I feel like God wants to just encourage us that although we feel battered, we are in the hands of a skilled craftsman who is shaping us into a thing of beauty, into a Christ-like people. So let that encourage you and let me pray and lead us in lamenting to God together. And as we do that, uh, Jack and Angie and Ethan will come back and they'll lead us in a final song. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that these difficult words of Psalm 13 were first sung by your ancient people and that they've been preserved for us today. They show us that in some seasons and in some sufferings of life, they are deeply painful and they cause us to wonder about what goes on and, and why. Yet even with all of our questions, you are neither offended nor affronted when we feel this way. You welcome us to approach you in our woes. And if we don't bring our cries and our confusion to you, where can we go? For indeed, there are times when we feel like you have forgotten us and are hiding from us. For some of us, that moment is now and that season has been going on for quite a while. And the worst thing about it is that we don't sense your presence and we're left to the shallow waters of our own counsel or the voices of this world full of mockers and haters. Please, Lord, do not allow our suffering to sabotage the trust 
that we have in your sovereignty and goodness. Come, Lord, and meet us in difficult and hard places. And for the sake of your name and your glory, bring your power to help us. Remind us of what we know is sure, that your steadfast love for us in the gospel is unquestionable and inexhaustible. And though our rejoicing and our singing may be presently reduced to a still small voice, we bless you for dealing bountifully with us through the finished work of Jesus. Lord, we pray for everyone in pain and heartache that this season will soon pass and may soon be sooner. But until then, we determine to unhesitatingly proclaim that we are your beloved children and you are our graceful God. For there is no other hope or anchor so sure and steady as you in all of our sorrows. Jesus is better. Make our hearts believe. In Jesus' wonderful name, we trust and we pray. Amen.